the following the following journey into comics 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 network 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 production production Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is episode 5 of Poor360. I want to thank you for joining me here today. Like I said, my name is Andrew Poor. I am the host of this fine show you're listening to. And one thing I started at the beginning of this episode was that I would do a poll to determine the topic for that week. And it's seeing when I came up with this poll, I was tired. I was at the airport waiting for my flight. And I had just watched the most boring... Super Bowl and halftime show that I think I've ever seen in the years I've been watching the Super Bowl. And I was like, okay, so let's talk about... So my topic was very much Super Bowl oriented. The concept of goats. Like, uh, goats, obviously, in Super Bowl related, probably in terms versus like Tom Brady, currently, Michael Jordan. The, the concept of these larger-than-life athletes that are infamous with the sport. And another thing was halftime shows, which... Have been hit or miss lately. Obviously, you can't talk about Super Bowl halftime shows without about the controversy, which I'll get into later, which happened probably 10 or more years now. It's hard to remember. But so I put the poll up there, obviously, between Goats and the halftime show. And the halftime show actually squeaked out the winner. So I don't remember the exact percentage of the time I looked at it, but as the poll ended, I, I think it was like 60 30 or 67 30, whatever. But, so, halftime shows was the one I was thinking of, and honestly, I don't remember much about halftime shows before, like, early 2000s. I know I probably watched Super Bowl as, a, like, a single-digit age kid, I just don't remember anything about them. But I didn't realize, like, as I was looking into this, that it hasn't always been, like, this big pop group or artist or big spectacle. It, it was a lot like what you'd expect from, like, a normal football game, which involved, like, having a marching band come out at halftime to rile up the crowd and get everyone ready for the second half, but yeah, it's had an interesting little history. Because obviously we just had, was it 53 was the last Super Bowl, if I remember right? So I'm not going to give you a ton of background because a lot of you know you've seen a Super Bowl halftime show, you kind of know what they're about, what usually happens. But actually during the first decade of the Super Bowl, it was actually mostly college marching bands, which is actually pretty interesting. So it, was, it wasn't until like the show's second decade that they featured a more varied show, often featuring drill teams and other performance ensembles. The group Up the People produced and starred in four of the performances. In the middle of the third decade, in an effort to counter other networks' efforts to counter-program the game. So obviously they were trying to put on their own thing to negate people watching the Super Bowl. It happens a lot with uh, normal broadcast network television. So obviously, like you see, like NBC has like their Wednesday night lineup. They're trying to counteract someone else another network's Wednesday night lineup to say oh if you had to pick between these two shows which one is better so they were trying to counter program the Super Bowl which seems unheard of now but 20 years ago that was much a thing so they actually went to more popular acts bringing out more popular music like New Kids on the Block Gloria Estefan Michael Jackson Clint Black Patti LaBelle and Tony Bennett so starting with Super Bowl 32 commercial sponsors presented the halftime show Within five years, the tradition of having a theme began with Super Bowl three, ended. So, replaced by major music productions by arena rock bands and other high-profile acts. In the six years immediately following an incident at Super Bowl 
38, where Justin Blake exposed one of Janet Jackson's breasts in an alleged wardrobe malfunction. All the halftime shows consisted of a performance by one artist or group, with the musicians in that era primarily being rock artists from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. These shows were considered family-friendly, and the time at which they took place had been described as the age of reactionary halftime shows. Since Super Bowl uh, XLV, my Roman numeral, uh, what was that? 45? XL. Let's say 45. X, yeah, I don't know. Give or take 45. Um, they started featuring contemporary musicians with a typical format featuring a single headliner who's collaborating with a small number of guest acts. And one thing I actually found really interesting is that the NFL does not pay the halftime show performers. You'd think it's a big ticket item that they'd have to pay someone a lot of money to get that kind of notoriety, but. Actually, they don't. They just give someone the platform to really sell their brand. But you're already getting these big names, so they really don't need that extra incentive. So they don't pay you an appearance fee, but they do cover all your expenses for your performers, your entourage, your band members, management, tech crew, all that. Everything goes along through it. So the Super Bowl 30, or 27 halftime show had Michael Jackson, and he was an exception, as the NFL... And Fidelity agreed to make a donation to provide commercial time for Jackson's Heal the World Foundation. So according to the Nielsen SoundScan data, the halftime performers regularly experience significant spikes in weekly album sales and paid digital downloads due to the exposure. For Super Bowl, Super Bowl sorry, 49, it was reported that the Wall Street Journal that league officials asked representatives of potential acts they would be willing to provide financial compensation to the NFL in exchange for their appearance in the form of either an upfront fee or cut of revenue from concert performances made after the Super Bowl. While these reports were denied by NFL spokesmen, they had, the request had, according to the journal, received a chilly response from those involved. Yeah, like, I think that's, like, I understand they get a tick from after, but you want them to perform as much as some of them want to be there. And based on the acts we've seen in recent years, they're not necessarily, like, big people. I guess the argument we made there are bigger bands, but I feel like it's, kind of comes and goes with the times but I feel like they have they need to they always mix it up to try and get the most audience so um from this uh article there's a list of all the performances from for all the super bowls so it's gonna be a bit to go through but it's i think worth knowing you can see kind of the transition then we can kind of see what goes on from there so let's take it all the way back to 19 19- 67. This was the first Super Bowl. It was at the LA Memorial Coliseum in Los Angeles, California. I don't know who played, like who the performance, or not the part, who the teams were playing. That's not what this post is about. But, so the performers was the University of Illinois Symphonic Marching Band and Grambling State University Marching Band, Al Hurt, Anaheim High School Drill Team, and Flag Girls. The set list included the Liberty Bell, the University of Arizona Symphonic Marching Band. That, I mean, that's who did the set list. So, very patriotic, seemed very short. The next year for Super Bowl II in 68 was the Miami Orange Bowl in Miami, Florida. And that was Grambling State University Marching Band. The third one, also the, at the Miami Orange Bowl. The theme of it, this is when they started to come up with themes... That was America Thanks, and the performers were the Florida A&M University and Miami Area High School Bands. So, still sticking with the marching bands, like I said, the kind of the consensus at the beginning. Uh, in the 70s, we saw 
was at Tulane Stadium in New Orleans, and that was a tribute to Mardi Gras, and that figured the performance Marguerite Piazza, Doc Severinsen, Al Hurt, Lionel Hampton, Lionel Hampton Southern University Marching Band. And the set list, one of them was when the Saints go marching in, which is very football and, yeah. Uh, back at the Miami Orange Bowl for the fifth one, and that was the Southeast Missouri State Marching Band. So it seems like they just keep getting college bands to play. Back at Tulane Stadium for the sixth. This was a salute to Louis Armstrong, which featured Ella Fitzgerald, Carol Channing, Al Hurt again, the U.S. AFA Cadet Chorale, and the U.S. Marine Corps Drill Team. And one of the songs was Mac the Knife by Ella Fitzgerald and Al Hurt. Next one was at L.A. Memorial Coliseum, which I think where the first one was. The theme was Happiness Is, and it was performed by the University of Michigan Marching Band and Woody Herman and Andy Williams. Setlicks included Put on a Happy Face by the University of Michigan Marching Band, La Virgin de la Macarena by the University of Michigan Marching Band, The Land is Your Land by the same marching band, Marmalade, Molasses, and Honey by Andy Williams, and People by Andy Williams. It's obviously not a complete one, that's just what they have available here. For Super Bowl VIII in 74, it was at Rice Stadium in Houston, Texas. The theme was A Musical America. The performers were University of Texas Longhorn Band and Judy Mallett, Miss Texas of 1973, on fiddle. Wow. Um, no songs list there. Uh, next year for Super Bowl IX... It was at Tulane Stadium again. It was a tribute to Duke Ellington, and the performers were Mercer Ellington, guessing a child, and Grambling State University marching band. So, still the marching bands. For Super Bowl X, big monumental one, in 1976, it was at the Miami Orange Bowl, again. The theme was 200 years and just a baby, a tribute to America's bicentennial. Obviously, it was 1976, so it was the bicentennial. Performers were up of, up with people. First one that really include a marching band. The next year was at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena. Theme was It's a Small World. And the performers were Los Angeles United All-City Band and Audience Card Stunt. And this was the first one I think that was produced by the Walt Disney Company. I'm sensing a pattern here. So, uh, for 12, it was at the Louisiana Superdome. The theme was From Paris to Paris of America. The performers were Tyler Apache, Bell's Drill Team, and Apache Band Pete Fontaine and Al Hurt. Okay. Next year was at the Miami Orange Bowl. This was Super Bowl thirteen. Uh, the theme was Salute to the Caribbean. It was Ken Hamilton and various Caribbean bands, including Gramex out of Dominica. Sponsor was Carnival. Carnival Cruise Line actually sponsored that one. That one's interesting. Now we're getting to the 80s. This is where it kind of gets a little more exciting. So first one was at the Rose Bowl. It was Salute to the Big Band era, and it was featured Up With The People again, Grambling State University marching bands again. And that was it. Uh, next year's Louisiana Superdome. Theme was Mardi Gras Festival, and it featured Southern University Marching Band and Helen O'Connell. Uh, for 16, it was at the Pontiac Silverdome in Pontiac, Michigan. I don't know if that place still exists anymore. And it was a salute to the 1960s in Motown, performed with by Up With The People. For the 1983 Super Bowl, it was at the Rose Bowl. Theme was Kaleido Superscope, and it was by the L.A. Super Drill Team. Okay. For the one in 1984, Super Bowl XVIII, it was a salute to superstars of Silver Scream. It featured the University of Florida and Florida State University marching bands produced by the Walt Disney Company and songs included an introduction by Phyllis George, Hooray for Hollywood, You Gotta Be in Pictures, Stepping Out with My Baby, Putting on the Ritz, 42nd Street, When You Wish Upon a Star. It's a 
Disney produced, it's gonna there's gonna feature when you wish upon a star. For Super Bowl in the eighty five, Super Bowl nineteen. It was at Stanford Stadium in Stanford, California. The theme was World of Children's Dreams. The performers were Tops in Blue, and it was produced by the Air Force Entertainment. How about that? For Super Bowl twenty in eighty six, it was Louisiana Superdome. The theme was Beat of the Future, and it was performed by Up with People Again. This is probably a big group. So this is for Super Bowl 21. It was at the Rose Bowl. The theme was Salute to Hollywood's 100th Anniversary, The World of Make-Believe. Performers were George Burns, Mickey Rooney, Grambling State University, and USC marching bands, Disney characters, and Southern California area high school drill teams and dancers. Produced again by the Walt Disney Company. Set lists include Ghost Riders in the Sky. The theme songs from Bonanza, Indiana Jones, and Footloose. Hoedown Song, Cheek to Cheek, What a Feeling, the theme from Flashdance, that's Entertainment, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, and When You Wish Upon a Star, again, for the first time in a couple years. That takes us to 88, with Super Bowl 22, it was at Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego, the theme was Something Grand, performers were Chubby Checker, The Rockettes, 88 Grand Pianos, and the combined San Diego State University Marching Aztecs and USC Marching Bands. So, obviously there's not really any songs for this one. For Super Bowl twenty-three, it was Joe Roby Stadium. It was the 1950s rock and roll was the theme. It featured Elvis Presto, not Presley, Presto, and the South Florida area dancers and performers. The theme also said it was Bebop Bamboozled in 3D. Weird. As well as a good introduction by Bob Costas and 3D commercial for Diet Coke. Uh, rock This Town, audience participation in Card Trick. Tutti Fruity, Do You Love Me, Dove With a Blue Dress On, Great Balls of Fire, Greased Lightning, True Love. Alright, now we're getting into the 90s, so I'm actually alive for some of these. Except for the except for the first one, Super Bowl 24, I was not alive yet. Um, this was Louisiana Superdome. It was the salute to New Orleans and 40th anniversary of Peanuts. So it featured Peter Fontaine, Doug Kershaw, Irma Thomas, Nichols, State University Marching Band, Southern University Marching Band, USL Marching Band. Songs included, Up at Lazy River, Waiting for the Robert E. Lee, Here Comes the Showboat, When the Saints Go Marching In, Pete Fontaine on Clarinet, and Happy Birthday to You. Oh, because it was the 40th anniversary of Peanuts. Weird. Um, January of 91 was Super Bowl 25 at Tampa Stadium. The theme was a small world tribute to 25 years of the Super Bowl. 25, alright, so it featured, now we're getting some bands, so we have New Kids on the Block, Disney characters, Warren Moon, 2,000 local children, and an audience card stunt. Produced by the Walt Disney Company, sponsored by Walt Disney World and the Coca-Cola Company. Songs include It's Small World After All and We Are the World. And I like to teach the world to sing. So, Coca-Cola and Disney, right at the beginning there. Step by Step by New Kids on the Block. That's one's for the children. New Kids on the Block and Children, the 2,000 local children. And It's a Small World After All by the children. I mean, if I was watching Super Bowl 25 and they... All the... 2,000 local kids started singing It's a Small Wood After All, I'd probably go insane. And something special about this halftime show is that the airing of this halftime show was delayed until the conclusion of the game due to ABC News coverage of Operation Desert Storm. Interesting. Brings us to 1992 at the Hubert Humphrey Metrodome in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Theme was Winter Magic and a salute to the 92 Winter Olympics. Performers were Gloria Estefan, Olympic figure skaters Brian Botano and Dorothy Hamill. Members of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team and the University of Minnesota Marching Band. The set list included Winter Magic, Walking in a Winter Wonderland, Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, Frosty by the University of Minnesota Marching Band, Once One Moment in Time featuring Brian Patano and Dorothy Hamill, 
Don't Stop Me Now, featuring members of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. Live for Loving You by Gloria Estefan and Get On Your Feet by Gloria Estefan. During the halftime, Rival Network Fox aired a special live episode of In Living Color. One of its first deliberate attempts at counter-programming, the show drew over 22 million viewers away from the Super Bowl telecast. In mid-1992, citing this select production's Pitched the concept of exclusive featuring live concert performances from top contemporary musical artists. The concept and pitch is attributed to Select Productions employee Rick Lewis and prompted the change of the 1993 halftime show to showcase Michael Jackson. So it brings us to the big one. Super Bowl 27 halftime show. In January of 93 at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California featuring Michael Jackson. This one has its own special article. Kind of mentioned the two big moments in Super Bowl history all involved at Jackson. So, Super Bowl, the 27 halftime show. It featured American singer Michael Jackson. It was broadcast on NBC. That one reports increased the TV rating by a significant amount and has been claimed to be the one of the most watched events in American television history with 133.4 million viewers. Jackson former star the NFL trend of signing top acts to appear during the Super Bowl to attract more viewers and interest. So after Super Bowl 26, with where a special episode of In Living Cover broadcast by future NFL broadcaster Fox during the game's halftime period successfully attracted viewers away from the Super Bowl on CBS, with viewership falling by 22% over halftime, the NFL began the process of heightening the profile of the halftime show in an effort to attract mainstream viewers. Radio City Productions would produce the halftime show, attempted to court Michael Jackson to serve as the headline act by meeting with him and his manager Sandy Gallen. After three failed negotiations, including asking NFL for a fee of $1 million, Jackson management agreed to allow him to perform at Super Bowl 27. Though the league does not pay appearances, fees for the Super Bowl halftime performers, NFL and Frito-Lay agreed to donate $100,000 to the Heal the World Foundation, a charity that was founded by Jackson, as well as allocate commercial time to air on appeals for the Foundation's Heal LA campaign, which aimed to provide healthcare, drug education, and mentorship for Los Angeles youth, particularly children affected by the aftermath of the 1992 L.A. riots. Nine days later, Jackson would gain his highest television interview with Oprah Winfrey, the gain the highest television interview in history. So the performance started his halftime short by first appearing at the top of stadium's two jumbotrons, using body doubles, obviously. Jackson then rocketed from center stage and stood completely still and silent for almost two minutes before his performance. Jackson's performance included a medley consisting of jam with the beginning of why You Want to Trip on Me, Billie Jean, and Back on Black or White. The finale featured an audience card stunt, a video montage showing Jackson participating in various humanitarian efforts around the world, and a choir of 3,500 local L.A. children singing We Are the World. They were joining Jackson as he sang his single, Heal the World. That time's show was a major success, marking the first time in Super Bowl history that the ratings increased between halves during the game. The performance helped Jackson's latest album, Dangerous, rise 90 places in the album charts. So yeah, they definitely made a good choice in kind of mixing it up. And so what do you think, what actually, what do you follow up Michael Jackson's performance with? And this was actually, I think, this was the 94s at the Georgia Dome. It had a theme. They went back to themes after Michael Jackson, because obviously you won't put a theme with Michael Jackson. He is the theme. He is the man. He's doing what he's doing. So the theme was actually Rockin' Country Sunday. Performers were Clint Black, Tanya Tucker, Travis Tritt, and the Judds. So they went country. Rock and Country Sunday. So let's include Tuckered Out by Clint Black. It's a Little Too Late by Tanya Tucker. T-R-O-U-B-L-E by Travis Tritt. No One Else on Earth by Winona Judd. 
Love can build a bridge by the Judds, joined by other artists and special guests for the final verse. Notes about this are Travis Street of Atlanta joined several other artists in history to perform the halftime show on in his own hometown. Special guests for this finale included C.V. Wonder, Ashley Judd, Lisa Hartman, Black, the Georgia Satellites, Joe Namath, Elijah Wood, and Charlie Daniels. Why in the world Elijah Wood is there in 94? Elijah Wood would have been just a little kid. Yeah, that beats me. That's Super Bowl 28 for you. How do you top Michael Jackson? Elijah Wood. There you go. So in 95, they kept another theme. This was at Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida. The theme was Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye, which is a movie that doesn't exist. Why that's the theme, I have no idea. Let's see what it says about this theme. Oh, it's based on the Indiana Jones Adventure. It's an attraction at Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. Uh, motion vehicle dark. Okay, so it's a ride. Um, yeah, interesting. Okay, so it's basically Disney doing Disney things. So it featured performances by Patti LaBelle, Indiana Jones and Marion Ravenwood. Obviously, I don't think they got the actors. Teddy Pendergast, Tony Bennett, Arturo Sadoval, and the Miami Sound Machine. Songs included Release Yourself by Patti LaBelle, Caravan by Tony Bennett, Arturo Sadoval, and Miami Sound Machine. New Attitude by Patti LaBelle, and Can You Feel the Love Tonight by Patti LaBelle and Tony Bennett. That'd have been a weird one to see live. Yeah, that was Super Bowl twenty nine. What are you gonna do? Now we're getting to the now we're getting to the mid to late nineties. This one includes one performer. It still has a theme. It's Take Me Higher Celebration of Thirty Years of the Super Bowl for Super Bowl thirty, featuring Diana Ross. It was at well, it was produced by Radio City Music Hall. Sponsored by Oscar Mayer, which is random. Diana Ross, Oscar Mayer, weird. Um, the medley of the following songs, Step in the Name of Love, You Keep Me Hanging On, Baby Love, You Can't Hurry Love, While You Fools Fall in Love, Chain Reaction, Reach Out and Touch, Somebody's Hand, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, I Will Survive and Take Me Higher. Not bad, not bad. So, Super Bowl 31, it was at the Louisiana Superdome, and the theme was Blues Brothers Bash. Of each of the Blues Brothers, obviously not John Belushi, but they got James Belushi. As well as well as Dan Arcroyd, John Goodman representing the guys that were going to be Blues Brothers 2000. I think that's what it was called. Also featured ZZ Top, James Brown, and Catherine Cryer for the news intro. Random. Also sponsored by Oscar Mayer. They kept it going. Um, Settlers included Everybody Needs Somebody to Love. Soul Man. I Got You. Parentheses, I Feel Good. Get Up. I Feel Like Being a Sex Machine by James Brown. Tush by ZZ Top, Legs by ZZ Top, and Give Me Some Lovin' Give Me Some Lovin' by all performers. Now we're in '98. This was at Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego. Salute to Motown's fourth anniversary, featuring Boys to, Boys to Men, Smokey Robinson, Martha Reeves, The Temptations, Queen Lativa, and the Grambling State University Marching Band. For I feel like been ten years since the last time we were there. Sponsored by Royal Caribbean International and Celebrity Cruises. Uh, song list. It's getting longer now, so I think I'm going to just stop saying them, but obviously a medley of hits from these bands. In 99, which I don't remember 98 or 99, even though I probably watched these. 99, which was Super Bowl 33, is at Pro Player Stadium in Miami Gardens. Celebration of Soul, Salsa, and Swing featuring Gloria Estefan, Stevie Wonder, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, and Savion Glover. Sponsor was Progressive Auto Insurance. Okay. And 2000. 
and I feel like I may have remembered this one as an interesting uh, group. January 3rd, 2000, I was at the Georgia Dome. It was The theme was Tapestry of Nations. Performers were Phil Collins, Christina Aguilera, Enrique Iglesias, Tony Braxton, an 80-person choir, and Edward James Olmost as the narrator. Produced by Disney, sponsored by E-Trade. Interesting. I feel like this. I feel like the next one, which was Super Bowl thirty-five, it was in January of one I feel like this was the first one I remember. I don't know why. I kind of remember. I think it was the big spectacle because it featured some popular music like NSYNC, Britney Spears. So it was at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. The theme was the Kings of Pop and of Rock and Pop, featuring Aerosmith, NSYNC, Britney Spears, Mary J. Blige, and Nelly. Produced by MTV. Sponsored by E Trade. It started with a pre recorded intro sketch with Ben Stiller, Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, Aerosmith, and NSYNC. Random. And it featured an ending with all those people singing, all the performers singing Walk This Way. And I remember, I think the only thing I really remember about that concert, I don't really remember what they said. I just remember them all running in with like being like chased by a big crowd when they did the performance. So, which brings us to. 2002, obviously this is the first one following September 11th. It was at the Louisiana, Louisiana Superdome. It was a tribute to those killed in the September of attacks. It was performanced by U2. I vaguely remember this one. Sponsored by E-Trade. That was Super Bowl 36. Third Bowl 37 in 2003 at, back at Qualcomm Stadium. This featured Shania Twain, No Doubt, and Sting. Don't know why those all people are grouped together. Sponsored by AT&T Wireless. Then we get Super Bowl 38. At Reliant Stadium in Houston, theme was Choose or Lose. For homers were Jessica Simpson, the spirit of Houston from the University of Houston, and the Oceans of Soul of Texas State, Texas Southern University marching bands Janet Jackson, P. Diddy, Nelly, Kid Rock, and Justin Timberlake. The sponsor was AOL Top Speed, which is really ironic because AOL Top Speed. And this actually goes to a separate article. Obviously, everyone, this is the one that everyone remembers. This is the one that probably got a lot of kids from being allowed to watch the Super Bowl halftime shows for a few years if your parents were really strict. So, yeah, lots of fun there. I think I remember a couple parties I went to that we weren't, uh, me and my friends weren't allowed to watch it. So, yeah, that's always fun. So, here's the song there. This actually, like I said, like the two big infamous things Super Bowl featured Jackson's. The one with Michael Jackson really sticks hard how they're going in the future, and this one featured Janet Jackson shows how they're going to do it for the next few years. So, the Super Bowl 38 halftime show controversy. So it was broadcast on February 1st, 2004, which was about 14 years ago, a little over 14 years ago now. It aired on CBS, and it featured the show revealed, uh, the controversy that showed Janet Jackson's breast, adorned with a nipple shield, it was exposed by Justin Timberlake for about a half a second, which was later referred to as a wardrobe malfunction. The incident, sometimes referred to as Nipplegate, was widely discussed. Along with the results to the halftime show, it led to an immediate crackdown and widespread debate on perceived indecency in broadcasting. The FCC fined CBS a record $550,000, which was fought in the Supreme Court, but that fine was appealed and ultimately voided by the Third Circuit Court of Appeals in a 2011 ruling. In a case to reinstate, the fine was refused in 2012. Really, almost eight years it took to them kind of settle it. <clears throat> the incident was ridiculed both within the United States and abroad with a number of commentators considering the incident a planned publicity stunt, and American commentators in particular viewing it as a sign of decreased morality in American culture. 
While others consider the incident harmless and argue that it received you undue amount of attention and backlash. Increased violation of broadcasting raised concerns regarding censorship and free speech in the United States, and that's to see increased the fine per indecency violation from $27,500 to $325,000 shortly after the event. That didn't show that year was produced by MTV and was themed around the network's choose or lose campaign due to the event occurring during a presidential election year. Following the wardrobe incident, the National Football League announced that MTV, which also produced the halftime show of Super Bowl 35, would not be involved in any halftime shows in the future. The MTV chief executive stated in an interview with Reuters that Jackson engineered the stunt, while Timberlake was informed of it just moments before he took the stage. The exposure was broadcast to a total audience of 143.6 million viewers. YouTube co-founder Jod Karam claims that this incident was what led to the creation of the video-sharing website. The incident also made Janet Jackson the most searched term event and image in internet history, as well as the most searched person and term in 2004 and 2005. The incident also broke the record for most search event over one day. Jackson was later listed in the 2007 edition of Guinness World Records as most searched in internet history and the most searched for news item. Became the most watched recorded and replayed television moment in TiVo history and enticed an estimated 35,000 new TiVo subscribers to sign up. Vincent also coined the phrase wardrobe malfunction, which was later added to the Merriam Webster's Collegiate Dictionary. Following the incident, CBS parent company Viacom and their co owned subsidiaries MTV and Infinity Broadcasting enforced a blacklist of Jackson's singles and music videos on many radio formats and music channels. As of 2018, either Jackson or Timberlake are banned from the halftime show. Timberlake later performed at Super Bowl 52 on February 4th, 2018, which we'll get to later. So, yeah, I remember this. This one was pretty infamous. And it's surprising, though, that, you know, they were both kind of involved. It still showed... They still had just to, like, come back to perform, and there was no issue, bad will, all of that. Could have been scripted. I really don't know. I'm not really going to dig into it because it was... 14 years ago, it's really not a big deal. They did have to change it. They had to go with a little bit more tame acts after that. So, following this event, they went with Paul McCartney. So, followed up that big mess of groups. Jane Jackson, P. Diddy, Nelly, Kid Rock, Justin Blake, Jessica Simpsons, to Paul McCartney. Alright. Followed up Paul McCartney with Super Bowl thirty nine. For Super Bowl 40 with the Rolling Stones, which I'm not going to argue. It's the Rolling Stones. That's good. Then 41 with Prince. And that one, I remember that one. They His symbol was in the stage. It was the Pepsi logo. That was really cool. Not the Pepsi logo. His symbol when he was the artist formerly known as Prince. That's what I meant. And that was at Dolphin Stadium in Miami. And uh, Paul McCartney was at... Altal Stadium in Jacksonville. Uh, Rolling Stones were at Ford Field. Yeah, Prince, Dolphin Stadium, Miami. And now Super Bowl 42 in 2008 was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Fun. <laughs> and Super Bowl 40... 43? Yeah, 43 in 2009 was Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I remember that one being pretty good for a man his age. He's still able to rock out. That was at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. They definitely got to keep it warm in January, February. Now we have... Now we're in the 2010s. So, Super Bowl... 
44. Was at Sunlight Stadium. It featured The Who. I remember that. I was in college at the time. I remember watching that at my fraternity house. And it was The Who. Yeah, what are you going to expect? Then they kind of get more popish again after that. So this one was in 2011 for Super Bowl 45. It was at Cowboy Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Performed by the Black Eyed Peas, Usher, Slash, the Dallas Fourth Area High School Drill Teams and Dancers. So they brought back some drill teams and dancers. Good, good. For Super Bowl 46, it was at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Surprising given probably how cold it was. Why did this one have... So this one has a main article referring to it, which is kind of interesting. Probably just because it's starting to get bigger now. Um, this one featured Madonna, LMFAO, Cirque du Soleil, Nicki Minaj, MIA, CeeLo Green, Andy Lewis, Avon High School Drumline, Center Grove High School Drumline, Fishers High School Drumline, Franklin Central High School Drumline, Southern University Dancing Dolls, 200-person choir consisting of Indianapolis locals. Awesome. But Madonna and LMFAO and MIA and all that. Lots of fun. Then brings us to 2013, which isn't all that long ago. This one was the big one that pushed uh, Beyonce. This was Super Bowl 47, 2013. Beyonce and Destiny's Child also made an appearance, sponsored by Pepsi. Um, did all the fun Beyonce and um, Destiny's Child songs. Brings us to 2014. This was Super Bowl 48. Featured Bruno Mars and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Still kind of a random pairing. Still sponsored by Pepsi. Doing their hits. Then Super Bowl in 2015. Super Bowl 49. We had Katy Perry, Lenny Kravitz, Missy Elliott, and Aaron State University Sun Devil Marching Band. Still sponsored by Pepsi. I don't remember watching this one. I just remember at one point I looked at the TV because I was doing something else that day. I don't remember what. And she was on a giant mechanical looking lion puppet thing stage piece i don't know it was kind of random but that's Katy perry for you super bowl 2016 the super bowl in 2016 super bowl 50 they chose not to do roman Reigns to be super bowl l and they've been like eh, who wants to win super bowl l this makes it seem like you're a loser but this one featured i remember it was it was kind of portrayed as being just cold play and then it was like oh no we're gonna bring up beyonce and bruno mars and mark ronson and gustavo dudamel and the university of california marching band and youth orchestra of la because cold play's not gonna sell tickets what are we gonna do this was at levi's stadium in santa clara california and still sponsored by pepsi they kind of went through a period of doing that then this brings us to two years ago as you're listening to this now february 5th 2017 super bowl 51 back to the li this time Performed by Lady Gaga, which was a pretty big hit. Sponsored by Pepsi Zero Sugar. Not just Pepsi, Pepsi Zero Sugar. She's actually did a medley of God Bless America and This Land is Your Land, which I really don't remember. Before she's doing like her hits, Poker Face, Born This Way, Just Dance, all those fun ones. Brings us to last year. Bringing back the infamous Justin Timberlake from the Janet Jackson Warbrew Function Nipplegate debacle. This is at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Formed by Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee Kids. University of Minnesota Marching Band. Sponsored by Pepsi. Doing all of his... Justin Timberlake hits. Huh. I don't remember there being a projection of Prince on that one, but... Random? Okay. And brings us to this year's. 2019. Super Bowl 53. The most ho-hum of... Super Bowl halftime shows featuring Maroon 5, SpongeBob SquarePants, Travis Scott, Big Boy, and the Georgia State University Marching Band. 
And not even count SpongeBob SquarePants. They showed him for like less than five seconds. They teased that they were going to do that Sweet Victory song from the episode where they had to play the Bubble Bowl. They should just have done that song. It would have made everyone happy and it wouldn't have been a total waste of a performance. And who really likes Maroon 5 and the fact that it wasn't working so we kept taking more clothes off and I had to be sitting there naked doing a weird jive. I don't know. It's still sponsored by Pepsi. I thought they weren't sponsoring. Maybe they just didn't do an ad this year. I don't remember. Either way, they didn't ruin five song big boy songs. It was just odd. That whole Super Bowl itself was just random. So yeah, so that's all the Super Bowl halftime shows, including the debacles. I didn't realize it was mostly not that exciting before like the late 80s when they brought Michael Jackson out. And there's always been little weird things. Like I remember there was like a meme. Uh, everyone obviously that everyone remembers Left Shark with Katy Perry. The one shark wasn't lined up with everyone else. I don't know. It always takes them so long to announce it. I feel like, who knows what next year's going to be. Probably some other pop artist. We'll have to kind of wait and see what happens. But I was kind of surprised. I was actually talking with Liz at one point how I can think of a country artist has never really done it. And I, I'm looking at this one. They did it a long time ago. And they, she did it with Shania Twain and No Doubt and Slash. Which, okay. Shania Twain. I don't know. I feel like they're trying to reach a broad audience because they're having a struggle with viewership. Lately, these days, just like a lot of regular live broadcast TV, just because people are cutting, cutting cable, they're not really watching these. They're going to one specific place, like a bar or a gathering of friends. No one's watching on their own TV, so it, including you know, it's most people watching on one screen. It's not their how the Nielsen and all that works. I have no idea. Because like, if I have thirty people over to watch something, do they know thirty people are watching it? Do they only think I, the person who's paying it, is one person or a household of two? I, I don't know how that whole thing works, but. I think they're struggling with what everything else struggling with. The same reason the Oscars are losing viewership. People just aren't watching stuff live anymore. They're either watching it online, streaming it, or whatever, catching it, play it back. Or they'll just fast forward to watch the commercial. Like, that's what my mom did. She recorded the Super Bowl. She's going to fast forward to the halftime show and the game just to watch the commercials because that's what she enjoys. And that's... Some of the commercials are usually good. You get some good trailers. You get some funny commercials. Because they... A lot of people pay a lot of money to get these big-name actors in these commercials, even though they wouldn't do a commercial normally, just get the big paychecks. But, yeah, lots of going on with the Super Bowl. That's really all I have to say. I feel like it's a shorter one, a shorter bit to talk about, but, yeah, that's all I can really say. So, we'll kind of, uh, I already put the poll up for next week's show. Check it out there. Obviously, you can listen to the credits, get all the rundown of where you can find me. Vote in the poll at uh, Poor360 at Facebook. So, Definitely want to do a good for that. I have to wait to see what the mini episode is that'll follow this, so stay tuned after the credits. And yeah, thank you for listening. I am Andrew Poor. This is Poor360. Have a great week. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others. Listen to the best wrestling podcast in the world. Journey into Wrestling every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. You're listening to Poor Entertainment. 
with your host, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Andrew Poor. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is a mini episode of Poor Entertainment, show covering entertainment news. And the big thing I want to talk about on this little mini episode here is the Oscars. Now, this is the Academy Awards. I'm a big movie fan. I'm seeing all the Best Picture nominees before the awards, and this is something I wanted to want to talk about today. Now, one thing that really came out yesterday as you're listening to this episode was that the Academy has been trying to streamline the show, shorten it up, make it not quite so long. So in an effort by their owners, by ABC, by Disney, to make the show a kind of a tight three hours, they've chosen to air some awards during commercial breaks, which angers a lot of people. Obviously, everyone should have their moment in the sun, their moment in the spotlight to... Sh- thank their friends, thank their family, thank the people who make what they do possible. So they have announced, as of today, the four categories that are presented during the commercial break. So as a part of the effort to stream this year's Oscar cast and keep it to a three hours, confirmed today that the trophies in four categories were presented during commercial breaks. As Deadline's Pete Hammond reported last week, Best Cinematography will be one of the categories whose presentation will be taped and aired later during the ABC broadcast on February 24th. Day before my birthday, if you want to care to know. <clears throat> the others revealed today in a letter to members from the Academy, President John Bailey, our live-action short, film editing, and makeup and hairstyling. All of each cat of each category's nominee will be aired along with the winner's speech. The Academy also confirmed that they will be live streaming during those commercial breaks, so the viewers viewing audience can also watch live online, along with those in the Dolby Theater. The cinematographer's branch led the way in arguing for this change by showing how it could be done. In addition to Bailey, <clears throat> Bailey being a co-governor in the branch, he had a piece cut together as an example of what it would look like and convinced other board members it actually was an improvement without losing any of the dignity of the presentation or downgrading it. The categories that are most effective will be rotated each year. Here is Bailey's letter. Dear fellow Academy members, After months of anticipation and much talk, I'd like to address a topic that's close to me. Viewing patterns for the Academy Awards are changing quickly in our current multimedia world, and our show must evolve to successfully continue promoting motion pictures to a worldwide audience. This has been our core mission since we were established 91 years ago, and it is the same today. As you may remember, last summer the Academy's Board of Governors committed to airing a three-hour show. I want to reiterate, however, that all 24 Academy Award presentations will be included in the broadcast. We believe we have come up with a great way to do this and keep our show to three hours. While still running the achievement of all 24 awards at the Oscars, four categories, cinematography, film editing, live-action short, and makeup and hairstyling will be presented during commercial breaks, with, the winning, with their winning speeches aired later in the broadcast. <clears throat> and with the help of our partners at ABC, we will also stream these four award presentations online for our global fans to enjoy, live along with our audience. Fans will be able to watch on Oscars.com and on the Academy's social channels. The live stream is a first for our show and will help further awareness and promotion of these award categories. The Zeta Committee of six branches generously opted in to have their awards presented in the slightly edited time frame for this year's show, and we selected four, in future years, four to six different categories may be selected for rotation in collaboration with the show producers. This year's categories will be exempted in 2020. The Academy Awards honor the year's best films and filmmakers. It is an international show filled with great emotion, and we hope during acceptance speeches. This year, in addition to performance of all five nominated songs, the show will feature Gustavo Dudamel and the Los Angeles Philharmonic playing during In Memoriam as part of their own centennial celebration. 
So buckle up, we're committed to presenting a show which we'll, we will all be proud of, John. So, I get what they want to do. They want to make it tighter, they want to make it cleaner, they want to allow people to really enjoy the show without really feeling like it's dragging on. But, like the main show I talked about, which was Super Bowl halftime shows, viewership everywhere is waning. I think trying to tighten up the show and kind of moving people to commercial break or the ability to like watch to stream or to avoid altogether. If they stream the whole award show so you can not watch commercials or do whatever, I'd be for that. I'd probably prefer to watch that because the commercials aren't why I watch the Oscars. I like watching them in their entirety. I want to see everyone get their moment. I do. I just, I like to see who's going to win. And if sometimes you learn about movies that you need to go see that you've missed somehow during the leading up to this. So it kind of stinks that they chose to negate this. Like, you know, there's never going to be like, I want to do best supporting actors to be on the commercial break this year. They'll never do that. It's what some people tune in for. They're going to choose like next year might be animated short or best costume design. Like they're just going to move these lower level awards. And if so, you're going to be negated this year, next year, they're going to be safe and then it'll be four to six others. But we've seen, the Super Bowl go into overtime before. Gone well over four hours, and they no one really bad at night. People still tuned in, but I can see what they're doing, but I don't disagree. I think everyone deserves their chance. If you've worked in this industry for 40 years, and this is your year to win, say you are been nominated six times for cinematography, and this is the year you got it locked in, you're going to win. And then to find out like a month before that, Oh yeah, cinematography is going to be aired on commercial break. That means people aren't going to be able to see... You're not going to be able to have that platform. Your light is diminished. You don't get that same spotlight that your fellow Academy members get or your fellow nominees or your people in other categories. It just seems ridiculous to me. I'd much rather have it all presented. Cut out the commercials. I know that's it's they need to be commercials. That's how things work. I don't know. I think if they want to do it, it should be all or nothing. And they should throw all 24 or even randomize it. Okay, we're going to, if we can't air all 24, we're going to put every category, including best picture in a hat. And the we'll draw out four names. Could be all the acting categories. It could be director, picture. Nope, those are commercial breaks now. Make Just give everyone a fair shake at this whole thing. But they won't do it that way. They're too tied up in ratings and attracting a mainstream audience. And mainstream audiences don't watch these award shows. They find these movies elitist. They find it disgusting. Like, obviously, yes, Black Panther got nominated this year. It broke box office records. But not everyone saw it. Not that every man went and saw Black Panther. And some people believe that Black Panther's only reason it's in there is based on the change and trying to appeal to broad audience the fact that it's an all-black class with a mostly black crew, and they're just like, yeah, let's do that. But, like, films like no one saw Glenn Close and the Wife, who's up for uh, Best Actress and will most likely win. I know some people saw Vice. <clears throat> but Roma, the fact that it's probably the best picture frontrunner right now, is on Netflix. It's a Spanish film. I don't know how many people saw that. I'm sure more people saw Bird Box, which... You know, like, everyone saw it. it was critically 
kind of panned for the most part, but I don't know. I say maybe give it to a streaming service, put it on YouTube and have ads thrown up that way. I'd tune in wherever they put it and I'm not going to pay to watch this though. Like, they can't be like, oh, it's going to be to avoid all commercial breaks, pay five bucks. Like I'm not going to do that. It's not going to do a pay-per-view for the Academy Awards. I don't know. That's just my two cents. I just, hopefully next year they do something different, but this is the way they're going for this year and there's already no host. So it might be a train wreck from start to finish, but we'll have to see. Definitely stay tuned. I'll probably have the topic that'll correspond with that week will probably be on the Oscars is one topic and I don't know what the other one will be for the voting, but thank you for listening to Pornertainment for this little mini episode for this week. I'm Andrew Poor. You have a great week.